Welcome to Champions of Care, a champion chair podcast and your go-to resource for industry-leading insights regarding medical seating and their applications. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Champions of Care, a champion chair podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. All right, folks, for today's episode, we are dedicating it to the backbone of the healthcare industry, and we are really speaking to what it takes to solve the care, technology, and support issues that that backbone of the industry faces. And of course, when we're talking about the backbone of the healthcare industry, we're talking about nurses. Being in the middle of a pandemic has shown just how crucial our nurses are to keeping our people healthy and why they should be supported with the right resources to do their job correctly and safely. So today we're getting a little perspective on the challenges of today's nurse with Jonathan Massey, CCRN Regional Account Manager for Champion Manufacturing. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. You know, this is a really timely topic. Uh, Clearly, we are in the middle of uh, a global pandemic. Things uh, are only going to get more difficult here in the United States as more people are tested, more people are um, brought into uh, a a care setting. Uh, Give us a little context on how this whole incredibly unique situation is impacting our nurse population today. So one of the one of the main issues that are that's currently uh, affecting not only nurses but just uh, a, a general strain on our um, on our healthcare system currently is uh, unfortunately we 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 have a lack of um, materials to uh, when I say materials I mean testing kits specifically for the COV um, nineteen virus um, and because of uh, because of the lack of appropriate materials, um, it, it's making it very hard to appropriately test, diagnose patients. And, and because of that issue, there is potentially patients that um, are infected that can go under the radar and unfortunately sort of continue this uh, pandemic cycle of, of infecting others. And clearly our nurses need resources beyond just testing kits and, uh, you know, masks. And yes. and those are, you know, in- incredibly critical right now. Um, but has this pandemic um, showcased any other uh, resources that nurses need that maybe are lacking or um, not quite as available? Uh, you know, ones that are more useful in day-to-day operations. Right. Yeah. So um, honestly, uh, another thing rather than um, uh, tools or, or materials testing kits, honestly, it's it's actual staffing, actual bodies uh, in uniform on the floors um, because, you know, beings with uh, the baby boomer generation coming to a certain age, um, there really is a, a very large need for nurses. Uh, and so that ends up being a problem. Currently, um, we actually have a shortage of appropriately trained nurses uh, to be able to care for this patient population. Not only that, um, that extends further on into ancillary um, uh, sort of specialties such as respiratory care. That is something that is uh, absolutely critical uh, with the current current virus that we're dealing with because of all the respiratory issues that it uh, is showing to cause in in patients. Um, But really, yeah, the the, the, uh, 
ha- having available p- people available to work, and then also those individuals who are working having time to be able to spend the appropriate amount of time with one patient to the next um, as well as trying to take a second to as a nurse to take a breath themselves um, so they can continue on their day in a in a healthy uh, functional way yeah well this is definitely uh, you know showcasing some some gaps in our uh, healthcare industry as a whole um but yeah, I, I just wanted to start there because I think it's incredibly timely and showcases just exactly why nurses are so critical to our day-to-day, obviously, um, but also, you know, where we should be supporting them in their day-to-day once we get out of this pandemic. Things that we can potentially do to sort of help nurses and, and help out healthcare facilities currently. Um, and just to sort of echo what's been said by many state governors is being... Um, being responsible with your uh, quarantining and social social isolation, making sure you're not just going out and about to um, to the store or other places if you don't necessarily need something. So uh, just really trying to maintain that social din- uh, that social distance is going to help reduce the rate of new infections, which hopefully will reduce the um, the workload on the healthcare system. Definitely. All right, Jonathan, let's take a step back and um, talk about you specifically and your journey into becoming a nurse before you found yourself at Champion. I think this is going to help give a little context for uh, what your expertise is and also characterize some of the, you know, the best parts about being a nurse and also some of the biggest challenges. So uh, tell us a bit about yourself, your background, how you got into the healthcare field in the first place. So I'm I'm 37 years old. Um, uh, my wife and I live in Denver, Colorado. Um, before doing sales, uh, working for Champion. Uh, previously to that, I worked for a pharma a company that did infusion sales uh, pharmaceuticals. But I did that while still maintaining my current uh, nursing license, which I I still keep current as well. Um, so there was a lot of um, education with patients and families uh, in in that role. Um, previous to that role, I was a full time uh, bedside nurse, uh, working primarily pre and post heart lung transplant, uh, multi system organ failure, that kind of thing. We um, in the clinical setting uh, in which I was a bedside nurse, we worked a lot with uh, different types of medical devices as it relates to heart transplant um, that were going through FDA trials, um, essentially a, a pump that for a, a patient whose heart is no longer functioning in a way that can sustain life, and let's say they um, are yet to be able to get a transplant or, or, or another fix to it, uh, this is a device that actually gets implanted into these patients that acts as their heart and gives them, um, it gives them more longevity until they are able to uh, have a, a donor match for that organ transplant. Um, some of the great things uh, with, with doing that and as a, a bedside nurse for me has always honestly been um, just the, the connections that I've been able to make with uh, families patients, uh, colleagues, and otherwise, you really, um, you really see, see people at, at their sort of most vulnerable and their weakest moments. So um, being able to see a little bit of sort of hope in them, um, 
by you taking good care of them and listening to them and, and doing what's right by them and not treating them as just like a, a, a number or a task uh, that you have to check off, which as a nurse, we're very task oriented because we have so many of them to do uh, in a day. But it's really important to make sure we don't treat um, our patient care and interactions as a task because there's much more substance to it uh, th- than that. Um, on the on the flip side to that, um, honestly, the the hardest part about being a nurse is um, for me, I uh, I don't have a switch in me that I can just flip and, and turn the day off uh, when I clock out at night, and so um, you know you invest all of yourself into doing something like this. So um, me personally, the hardest part was just uh, being able to try to shake it off and, and leave things at, at work and not you know take them uh, home with me to where they affect me day to day. What moved you to become a registered nurse in critical care in the first place? What was the, you know, what was there a life motivating factor? Was it just something that interested you um, from ye early days? You know, what uh, what was that journey? Yeah, um, I mean, so I've always been interested in the the body, how it works. I've always thought it's very fascinating, um, and I do have some folks in my family. My grandmother, for example, was a nurse. Um, And so that kind of made an impact on me. But uh, honestly, before I became a nurse, uh, I was uh, was an underwater welder. I worked primarily um, a saturation diver, and I worked primarily in the Gulf of Mexico in the oil field. And uh, I got uh, injured really bad uh, while I was working on a job. And so I got permanently medically disqualified. And when I was going through part of the treatment and whatnot for my injury, just dealing with, uh, dealing with nurses and seeing kind of the impact that they were able to make on someone like me and the situation that I was going through. It just, I feel like that really resonated to me as, as being a, um, uh, not just a career you can be, you know, proud of per se in that, um, you're making a decent living and it's a respectable, um, career, but, uh, Really, more so than that, it's what you get out of it in, on a, a non-monetary sort of um, sense, like I was saying before, the, the the connections that you make and being able to see somebody go from a horrible situation and progress. Yeah, and I mean, feeling like you have a hand in saving a life or, uh, you know, protecting a life, that that is uh, very soulful work. It's work that um, takes a lot of mental and, and physical energy as well. How have you, uh, you know, found ways to balance that so that you don't get too caught up in the negatives or too caught up in the positives even, right, so that you can create longevity um, in that career? And I mean, I, I know you're no longer a registered nurse, so I guess while you were a nurse, how did you, how did you, right. uh, you know, find that, that daily uh, antidote for some of the realities of the, of the job? Um, so... Uh one of them is being able to uh, being able to have people uh, to talk to about it that can actually relate to a situation like that and that's one of the uh, biggest challenges I found it, it's um, has been communicated to me from many other uh, nurses in that when you go home at the end of the day you can explain that situation but 
the individual on the other end, unless they're in this type of profession, um, they really can't, uh, they really don't fully understand. So I think having a good therapeutic outlet with individuals who can contribute to that conversation and maybe add some value to help you work through it is important. Um, but one of the main things for me is, uh, I, I work out, I work out, I lift weights, I play guitar, like any sort of, you know, outlet that I can do, that's going to, it's going to come out in a productive way. Um, that's, that's usually how I always dealt with it. It's just kind of dumping myself into something physical or artistic or something like that. Uh, did you have a specialty or a department that you worked in while you were a critical care nurse? Um, and, uh, what were some of your favorite parts about that specialty that you leaned into if you did have one? Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, it was, a uh, pre post heart lung transplant was the unit I was working on. So, um, I mean, I just, I love the fact that it was, it was go, go, go fast pace. Um, literally there's the 12, 12, 13, 14 hour days would go by in a blink of an eye at times. Um, so I liked the high intensity level. Um, I actually thr- did th- it really enjoy that and thrive on the stress um, of it. So all that is were things I really did in- enjoy about. It was kind of an adrenaline rush at times, if, if you will, in certain situations. Um, so I felt like that was really great. But again, it, it always ultimately, it comes back to the patients. You, uh, in this type of unit, I see a patient that comes in that is literally on death's door being kept alive um, artificially by machines and you see this individual progress through whether that be a heart transplant or a, a bilateral lung transplant and you actually get to see them and walk them out the front door when they leave some of these patients uh, may not leave for a year I mean I literally had a, a bilateral lung transplant patient who was on their 366th day they were finally released to go home for the first time and that is a proud moment. <laughs> you you line the halls, you know, you play Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> like, it is just, um, it's a very, very rewarding thing to be a part of. And clearly becoming a nurse, especially a critical care registered nurse, uh, has some stringent requirements and a, a long and... Um, you know, <laughs> grueling, I guess, for lack of a better word, process, uh, but for good reason, right? You want to be able to get out the other side qualified, prepared for the day-to-days of the reality of being a registered nurse. What was that certification process like for you? Um, and what are some of the differentiators that come with achieving uh being a critical care registered nurse? Pretty much uh, across the board in the U.S., they've primarily went to, um, they're basically eliminating any associates or ADN nursing programs and primarily going to four-year um, degree programs for, for all nursing. So that way it's a BSN minimum standard um, across the board, ideally is, is the goal of that. So um, typically you're going to look at a minimum of, of four years to obtain your nursing degree. Um, and then once you've uh, once you've obtained your actual degree from your institution of study, you then have to uh, sit for the NCLEX exam, which is your licensure exam to get your um, actual RN. So um, as you progress through your career and you um, and you advance your career, you'll have to uh, periodically 
take some additional courses, um, uh, extended learning. Really, you're you're a lifelong learner as a nurse. So um, just plan on essentially being in some form of schooling <laughs> one way or another, um, uh, really for the remainder of your career. But uh, ultimately, that's just going to make you that much better of a, of a healthcare provider in, in doing so. Um, now, in terms of differentiating between critical care nurse and a, um, a, a, an RN, um, really that is going to be defined by your state's institution. Every state is, is a little bit different. Um, but me, for example, you with mine, you had to have a certain amount of documented hours in certain acute a, a, a certain level of acuity setting, so a certain amount of patient care hours in an ICU setting, a certain amount of patient care hours in a PCU setting. So, uh, really, you just have to uh, accumulate the hours, and as well, there, there's additional testing um, that you have to do uh, in order to actually um, get that certification. <laughs> And that difference in that between the two nurses after you get that, a lot of times that can be um, a bump up in pay if you continue to progress forward to try and advance your, um, um, your, 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 whether that be degree or certificates. All right, let's connect the dots on your journey now on what led you to Champion. So with your passion for care, what was it about Champion Chair that took you basically out of the care profession and into um, the more B2B side of healthcare? Um, well, uh, one of the things, honestly, that uh, with Champion that I was really evident from the first conversation um, that I had with whom is now our VP of Sales, Matt Burke, is um, from every interaction from the first one with him from the time I started with the company, um, it's been a very almost feels like a, a, a family sort of um, atmosphere. Uh, you know, we're, we're able to, uh, there's always an open line of communication within the company. Um, because the company is a bit smaller, um, it does allow us to be more innovative in what we can do. So perhaps a change on a chair that you may want to make, and rather than having to go through a bunch of additional uh, hoops, uh, it's much easier to implement uh, those sorts of changes, being that it is a, a smaller company. There's less, um, basically less barriers uh, to, to get a, a task accomplished a lot of times. Um, th there's that, but really also they're, they're, providing, they're providing a service for a patient populations that is, it's an absolute necessity. Um, you know, uh, it, when a patient is hospitalized, if they're, we're getting them up out of the bed, we don't want them in the bed. Uh, we want them out of the bed as much as possible, even if it's getting up out of the bed and walking over to a recliner, um, because they're going to be sitting straight up and down. They're going to have better gas exchange. It's overall going to help, uh, their recovery as a, as a patient. Uh, so by knowing that we're able to provide a product for individuals that ultimately, if used appropriately can help. Uh, a patient progress and hopefully you know get home to their loved ones a little more quickly. Um, I feel like there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of value in that. Um, on top of that, just myself and in going into facilities when I bring a demo chair into a, a facility to demo for the staff and patients, and then I leave it there for a week, two weeks for patients and, and staff to utilize and get a feel for it. When I go back, all I hear is about how the patients <laughs> basically are, are kind of uh, fighting over who gets to sit in our chair. Um, it, their overall experience is just a better experience uh, in those types of settings because they're more comfortable and so they're happier. So let's look at some of the 
gear and some of the tools that nurses need in their day-to-day that are incredibly essential. One of them being, well, the chair that their patients sit in as they treat them. It might seem like a small thing, you know, but it's, it's something that needs to weather Uh, years of use and needs to be easy to use, not get in the way, be flexible. And this is something that Champion Chair has perfected. So I want to just kind of showcase, you know, why this tool is incredibly necessary and what parts of it need to be uh, most flexible and, um, you know, most frictionless for day-to-day care. So from a nurse's perspective, uh, how does a treatment recliner align with the needs of a caregiver? And, uh, you know, feel free to reference some of Champion's products if you'd like there, but speak a little more generally about why those treatment recliners uh, need to uh, align with the caregiver. Again, as it relates with with nurses, and as you touched on, this is it's absolutely a tool. Um, uh, our recliners are a class one medical device, uh, and they're specifically designed for the healthcare environment. Um, so, as a as a nurse and somebody wanting to utilize these chairs, um, for me, there's a couple things that would stand out as as being things that I would look for. One would be um, maneuverability of this chair. If I need to move this chair around the room, um, I need to transfer a patient in and out of this chair. Is it going to? Um, is it set up in a way that is going to allow me to do that? Um, safely for both the patient as well as the caregiver. So that's one of the number one uh, injuries or actually the number one injury for nurses and healthcare providers in acute setting is back injuries. And so um, having a, a, a chair like this to where a patient has the ability with different accessories and functions we have, whether that be um, um, electric recline, heat massage, USB ports uh, on the side of the chairs, whatever it may be, um, if the patient is able to take more, um, be more proactive in their own recovery, uh, patient outcomes statistically are much, much better. Not only that, Again, to reiterate with the back injuries, the if a patient is able to reposition themselves independently and do it, they need to do independently. The nurse is repositioning the patient less, thus decreasing the risk of injury for both the patient as well as the, uh, the caregiver. Um, with our chairs, though, there's, there's a couple of things that kind of aid in that. Uh, with our chairs, we can have a higher uh, casters and wheels on them, four to five inch. And so this makes this chair easy to to maneuver and actually utilize as a transport device. Um, so we really do have a, a lot of different accessories uh, to go with our chairs as well as models of chairs to really sort of uh, fit any clinical need that that one would have. How have you seen poor treatment recliners uh, negatively impact care for nurses? You know, what, what can a recliner do wrong uh, that actually makes care more difficult or at least less intuitive? Um, so a big thing with that would be um, in one of the things that is counterintuitive but is one of the things with our recliner that we do really, really well um, is actually uh, disinfecting. Uh, how are we able to clean this chair quickly, efficiently, but uh, in a way that's thorough and we're going to be doing uh, – 
appropriate antiseptic uh, techniques. So with with this type of chair, with the um, the swing, the the side swing arms uh, s- sliding open, you're able to get into all areas of this chair to clean it. There's also because of that with the swing open arms, there's no areas of entrapment in the chair. So for example, if a patient had a chest tube in place and that chest tube became dislodged when they were sitting in uh, one of our recliners, any fluid or blood that would, uh, that would uh, then be leaked out would go directly to the floor. A nurse or caregiver would be able to see that uh, immediately and then diagnose and treat the situation as opposed to uh, other recliners have areas of entrapment underneath the recliner to where blood and other fluids can pull, uh, thus making it harder to diagnose a, uh, a situation and treat it, uh, as well as in terms of patient transfers. So there are a lot of recliners on the market that uh, – going back even to like this the swing away arms uh, that do not offer a swing away uh, arm option so what you're essentially doing is having to lift a patient up over the side of a uh, of the arm of a chair and again increasing risk for an injury for patient and caregiver in doing so beyond the nurse's perspective of using this treatment recliner uh, are there any other large scale or long term benefits that come from uh going with a champion recliner versus uh, the competition or versus any other recliner uh you know what what are the broader um i guess positives that come with this recliner both for the hospital for doctors for any other caregivers in the facility go ahead and break that down for us Really, the value—the value in that is it, it, it's really on a, a lot of different levels. It's at the the sort of on the on the unit level, in terms of because we have such high quality and durable chairs, um, the 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 life expectancy out of these chairs is going to last you um, is going to last you a lot longer uh, than a lot of other chairs on the market. Uh, not only that, because of uh, we build our chairs in a a, a modular way, um, because of this this is great so in the event for example if you would rip a seat cushion on one of our recliners you don't have to throw the baby away with the bathwater, if you will Um, because it's modular uh, myself or a a, a repair company could come in and just remove that um, remove that and replace it with a new one and therefore the chair is not going to be out of service for an extended period of time by being able to just uh, modularly swap out that uh, that cushion on the recliner, um, so you have that in, in terms of reduced downtime for the chair. So you're getting more bang for your buck, if you will, for it. But uh, not only that, a, a major thing as it relates to hospital reimbursement, Medicare patients, uh, especially. There's something that's called uh, H caps. What that means is hospital uh, consumer assessment of healthcare providers and systems survey. What this is, is every Medicare patient who's hospitalized, when they are discharged, they're going to receive uh, in the mail a a scorecard that is going to ask them to rate the care that was received uh, while they were inpatient. Now, based upon this scorecard, how they fill it out, if they fill it out to reflect a negative score for the hospital, there is a direct correlation with those HCAP scores in how the hospitals are reimbursed. Therefore, by being able to improve patient satisfaction uh, with things with 
you know, electric recline, a heat massage, USB ports, those kinds of comfort measures uh, with our chairs, you increase patient satisfaction. Hopefully, they're going to uh, fill out that scorecard with a little bit higher marks for the institution, and inevitably, the, uh, the healthcare system gets reimbursed at a fair rate. Just in general, as you have been, uh, you know, more ingrained in this side of the industry, have you run up against patient room seating being passed off as treatment seating ever? Uh, yes. And, <laughs> and if so, you know, why does that reality manifest itself and how does that affect the care that uh, nurses can give? And, uh, you know, where does Champion fit into that? I find that more so in the... Um, sort of the, um, not in the hospitals per se, but more in the outpatient infusion centers, the clinics, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of just basically lazy boy recliners, <laughs> which, you know, is, is great if, um, you have it at the house and, uh, you know, you're watching a little TV and for relaxation, but, uh, the problem with this, uh, with, uh, with all these patients sitting in these types of recliners, for one, they sit really low to the ground. And so a patient, if they have issues, uh, getting to a, a standing or a seated position, because they sit so low to the ground, that is going to cause an issue, um, with mobility as well as, uh, generally speaking, they're not built in a way that is going to be uh, orthopedically supportive. And so they're going to be very soft. And so you're not going to have that good orthopedic support throughout the body. Um, which is going to lead to more sort of aches and pains, uh, th that, that kind of thing. Um, so that affects care in terms of it all goes back again to more times a, a, a nurse is making contact with the patient to, to aid in, in, in helping them reposition. So um, with a substandard sort of product, um, a patient is going to require more more assistance in their day-to-day -day activities uh, while they're being cared for. So that is going to ultimately uh, take time out of the nurse's day to where they could be concentrating on other tasks. Um, so champion sort of how we kind of fit into this equation, things that I've been doing is just really, uh, especially when they have those types of chairs, bringing in one of our chairs into their facilities to go through, to demo, and then to let them utilize that chair. And it I mean, the proof, the proof is in the pudding with it. Uh, you know, we, we show a chair, they sit in the chair and they, they love their, they love the chair. So, um, I've yet to experience a, a, a time to where I brought it in, uh, in a, in one of these circumstances and they not want to be sitting in our chairs moving forward. So beyond this, is there a need to educate on the difference between, um, you know, those two types of seatings from a clinical standpoint, uh, and if so, what kind of education is Champion Chair doing to make uh, you know caregivers at all levels uh, more in tune with how important this kind of gear is for um, quality treatment? Definitely, education is for sure needed. Um, a a big part of the way that I will approach it is uh, having the, the institution looking at what they're ultimately, what function are they trying to perform? The answer is they're, they're caring for patients. They're caring for patients uh, in an acute care setting. And so the, the need to have a, a class one medical device in their facility to do this only makes sense. All right, Jonathan Massey, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Champions of Care. Do you have any final thoughts before we uh, let you go here on the podcast on the relationship between 
something like a recliner or, you know, basically just quality and efficient gear and the caregivers at every level, registered nurses, critical care registered nurses, doctors, surgeons. Uh, What is that relationship, I guess, um, most need and where should we be putting our attention to solve those issues? So ultimately, um, you get you do get what you pay for with it. So um, I feel like, especially as it relates to um, the healthcare setting, um, if there there is ever if there is ever a time to um, make sure you're purchasing a high quality product, it would be in in this sort of setting. Um, ultimately, if you provide um, the best possible tools for your healthcare providers, your nurses, PT, ancillary services, etc., um, they're going to be able to provide a, a, a better care for the patient. And in doing so, not only are your patients going to be happier, but also your staff is going to be happier. Um, So ultimately, if uh, anybody out there is looking for a high quality class one medical recliner, uh, be sure to reach out to Champion Manufacturing. We'll be able to help you out. All right, Jonathan Massey, thank you so much. Again, Jonathan is a CCRN regional account manager for Champion Manufacturing. Jonathan, we appreciate your time. Stay safe out there, and we will have you back on the podcast soon. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Take care. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Champions of Care. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can find us on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also head to our website for more content beyond just podcasts. And make sure you're leaving a rating and a comment wherever you're listening to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.